low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into peak performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. So is this the end of the Lone Wolf Seller? Um, here's our agenda that we're going to be walking through. We're going to talk about what is Lone Wolf Selling? What is collaborative selling? What is the difference between these two things, really mindsets and philosophies? Um, what are those pillars of collaboration that can help us be more collaborative as a revenue team? What skills are needed? Um, how do we drive actual sales and marketing alignment? One of those things that's been talked about for decades, but very few companies have really cracked the code on. And who should be in a deal? How do we collaborate across the revenue team on a deal? What does that look like? So we're going to cover all of these things. And if there's anything else people want to cover, encourage you to throw those things in the chat. And maybe Ray and I might have an opinion on it. But before we get started, we want to understand our audience, who we are chatting with, so we can try to tailor this discussion to you the best we can. Um, if you can identify your job function, that would be excellent. I can see the results flowing in right now. It's like a pretty good mix, except very a one person in L and D. For okay, a lot of sales leaders. Yep, fantastic audience today, Craig. I mean, I'm really thrilled both with kind of global representation. I think we have people as far away as uh, Zambia and South America. We've got Europe, Asia. Uh, really great participation and turnout. And and just to echo, just while the poll results are coming in, but some of Alonzo's comments. We love to make these as interactive as possible. So feel free to, to chime in in the chat, uh, you know, light up the questions if, if you have them. We'll try to take them as we go along or definitely uh, try to save some time at the end, but want to make this as interactive as possible. Yeah, awesome. And a nice mix of, uh, you know, job functions here, mostly sales leaders, but we got enablement, we got ICs, marketing, and a little bit of L&D. So awesome, awesome stuff. Okay, so... Uh, you know, don't really need to be cliche and talk about, you know, the challenges in the economic environment and, and, and do more with less. But I do want to just make a point that, um, you know, do more with less. I think people's eyes kind of roll back in their heads when they they hear the term, um, especially in enablement. I, I know that there's like an implication that like 2022 was the celebration of excess. And we were just, you know, having parties and throwing money down the toilet. And it's like, oh, oh, let's hit the efficiency button in 2023. We'll start being efficient. So, I, you know, I know that, that that's not at all the reality, right? So, uh, but, but we do need to figure out ways of working smarter, of, of learning smarter. How can technology make us more efficient, right? There are some things that we can do. There are tools that we can leverage. There are skills that we can, we can implement that will allow us to do more with the same amount of resources. So that's really what we're talking about, what we're gonna to try to focus on uh, in, this, in this webinar. Yeah, Craig, and if I could just add to that, you know, I think to me what really resonates is, yeah, we're maybe a mandate to do more with less. At the same time, and as we know, selling is getting more complex and the buying behavior is getting more complex. They're more informed, there are more stakeholders involved. And oftentimes I feel like we're we're outmanned or outgunned, right? Going into a sale where if we have a lone wolf going in there, we may have six or eight on the buying committee, right? Or at least stakeholders involved in that deal. 
and and how are we accommodating their requests? How are we understanding what they care about and and meeting them? So we're going to talk about that throughout. I think it starts, you know, collaborating together in the in the planning and the enablement part, uh, thinking about collaborative training that we're going to get into a little bit, and then thinking about actually collaborative selling and what does that look like? So we even the playing field, right, with all these stakeholders we have on on the selling or on the buying side. Yeah, exactly. So. So here's here's some screenshots from some popular movies and TV shows kind of depicting how the lone wolf seller has kind of been characterized in Hollywood. You know, it's oftentimes a story about, you know, unsurmountable challenges and this this, you know, kind of heroic lone wolf figures out a way to overcome them and save the day. Um, And, you know, this seller is more and more, uh, I think, vulnerable uh, in, in this environment now. There's certain sellers that definitely have like the DNA for it. Um, it does, you know, it, as, as this slide points out, it does require that high motivation, high amount of skill, deep product knowledge. But there are some, probably some sellers of your organization that, you know, they're consistent and they're not collaborators and it works for them. And, you know, we're not saying that those people need to change because you, you can't always change people, right? But what we are seeing is definite trends towards more collaborative selling there's uh, in this economic environment with sellers being more concerned about job security than perhaps they've been before, they are thinking about how do they maximize value across the revenue team? How do they add maximum value to the organization? It may not be just about quota attainment and making president's club anymore to kind of make you feel safe at your job. So what are some of those other things that you can do? Lone wolf selling, it's in a silo. Oftentimes it's hero ball. They're trying to carry that thing to the finish line on their own. Um, they're trying to manage everything end to end. And one of the big things is that, you know, knowledge is currency. And with the lone wolves, a lot of times that knowledge, it it stops with them, right? They're not sharing learning. The rest of the team isn't benefiting from the knowledge and the experience that that these sellers are acquiring. So that's a real cost. This is our CEO, Yu Chun Lee. Um, and he does a, this is about a 60 second a uh, clip, actually, I think it's 40 seconds um, on what he thinks the best sellers look like in 2023. That's great. If you roll forward this assumption that pack hunting and collaborative selling is really the answer in the future, you're going to have to ask yourself, who are the best sellers? What's the definition of the best sellers? In that new world, the definition of best sellers are not just those that hit their quota. That's just an entrance to the game, if you will, to win the game, to be the best seller the APEC seller, you have to be someone that can contribute, coach, and bring the entire team up in this new world, what the definition of best seller is no longer enough to hit your quota. You got to be able to be somebody who can help and coach and mentor and and bring the best ideas to the entire organization. Those will be the one that will be successful in the future. So some really good tips there from you, Chen. We're going to go a little deeper on some of those points, right? Talking about coaching, right? Oh, now now we're talking about sellers coaching sellers. Interesting. How do we do that? How do we do that efficiently, right? How do we hunt as a pack together? Um, and this is this will be the last video. This is Mark Magnaca talking about um, pack hunting. Most people think that the number one predator in the ocean is the great white shark. It turns out that's actually not true. The actual APAC predator in the ocean is the killer whale. The thing that the orca whale can do that the great white shark doesn't do is hunt as a team. They only hunt as a team. They work as a pod, they communicate as a pod, and they are 
absolutely more effective than the great white shark. There are many salespeople who are like the great white shark. They're by themselves. They're swimming all the time. They're scary in terms of their ability to deliver. But when it comes to sustaining that over time, the wolf pack orca mindset of working as a team, it's not just in nature. It's true in among human beings as well. There's no one of us that can maintain it day in and day out, year after year and decade after decade. When you work as a team, you're doing the part that you're uniquely qualified to do and you're leveraging the unique talents of the team. Awesome. So uh, that was Mark Magnaca, the other co-founder of Allego. Um, and we're really feeling this shift in towards collaborative selling um, and collaborative enablement. Uh, and it, it is about help letting the A players lift the B players up right? And making it an actual responsibility. Um, there's an expectation set by sales leadership um, that mentoring and coaching, right? Figure out what the right cadence is and who the right people should be matched up with whom. Um, and trying to transfer some of those skills and knowledge to raise those B players up. Yeah. And Craig, we're going to get to the, the kind of skills required. And, and I think some of the evolving skills as well, but I think here what's what's interesting to point out is we need to start with that as collaborating um, among the team, right? So that's collaborating as as we'll get to sa between sales and marketing among the sales team itself. So being willing to share practices, being willing to help each other. And then, you know, it's kind of like how you practice is how you play in the game. So uh, how do we bring that to bear when we're actually in a pursuit and how can we leverage others, right, to be more successful in that uh, orca pod, I guess, uh, analogy. So I think it is a new skill set that we're going to see evolving. And I know we're going to get to that uh, a little bit later. Yep, exactly right. Yep, good, great points. And, and, you know, collaborative enablement is really about sharing knowledge and not just the good stuff, also sharing mistakes. So having a culture of vulnerability is so key. And that leads to sustainable collaborative enablement, right? And the best way to create a culture of vulnerability is to get your, your top performers to be vulnerable in front of the rest of the team. And then everybody else then feels comfortable because the top performer has really set the example. Your top performers have the most influence over the culture um, of your sales team. The things that they share and, and, and teach are going to be the most trusted content. Um, and the best remembered content um, that you can deliver for your sellers. Um, and messaging and learning uh, is crowdsourced in collaborative enablement. Now, the word crowdsourced, I, I think, has some negative connotations for some people, uh, that there is a loss of control, that it's the wild, wild west, um, and that that's fair. So when we talk about crowdsourced content, it's crowdsourced with control. There is still a curation element. Um, that sales leadership and enablers have um, to make sure that, you know, the right people, the right voices are being heard and, you know, maybe less experienced or, or people whose learnings maybe aren't quite in line with what they're trying to teach the team, those can be filtered out. So it's crowdsourced with control. But crowdsourcing is just so, so key. Um, not only is it the learning that your sellers want because they, they want peer-generated content, but it's also going to save you a lot of money, right? If you're able to take clips and snippets and you know self-generated, team-generated content, 
you don't have to spend as much money, you know, creating your own training content. You can just leverage those snippets and, and work those into your onboarding and into your training. That's great. So how collaborative is your sales team? We're going to take a, do a quick pulse check um, to see um, where, where the audience stacks up from all lone wolf seller on one extreme to orca whale style um, collaboration on the other extreme. What do they call this? A normal distribution, I think. It it looks, yeah, not a lot of orcas, or people are still trying to get their head around what that would would really look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe it's the blood in the water. People are like, oh no, I don't want to be orca. Yeah, yeah, they were Much. turned off by that. <laughs> uh... All right, let's close it and see what see what the results look like. Yeah, so a lot of people kind of in the middle, which is great. That's yeah. great. Um, it's good progress. Yeah. But definitely room room for improvement for sure. And then we have some cultures, 11%, all lone wolves, right? And it's hard to break that cycle for sure. All right. So let's talk a little bit more about knowledge sharing. We've already hit on a couple of these things, but that peer-to-peer seller-generated content is going to have the most credibility. It's going to be most trusted. And research studies have shown that that, that data is retained better by sellers. It could be the same content if you have a uh, you know, kind of a, a corporate voice delivering it, or even a sales leader delivering it, it's not going to have the same credibility or be as well remembered if it's a top performer. Um, they remember it better and there's more credibility because they're out there grinding, they're carrying a bag, um, and they have the most recent experience that matches that their experience. Yeah, um, I have a, a, a real life example of that that we've used very successfully with a number of different clients and in different industries even. Uh, is the idea of just doing short voice of the seller videos. So, you know, we talk about voice of the customer. Um, there, there's a lot, you know, kind of built around that. But but the voice of the seller is really interviewing, as you said, those top performers. If we're thinking about a specific skill set, you know, maybe it's discovery and asking great questions or maybe it's handling objections. But, but we ask them how they uh, apply that skill, right? And what's working for them. Or one key is how do you get access to those key executives, right? We have a program on that. Well, ask your top sellers what they do, and we can curate those. And today, I think we can do those virtually. We don't have to bring everybody into the studio. We don't have to spend tens of thousands of dollars, right? But a short interview and clip those into three to maybe five-minute segments, that's going to be more valuable probably than anything a talking head is going to say or or anything a, an instructor, and they're going to go back and, and pay attention to those. And, and I think we can complement our kind of standard curriculum with that real life examples, those voice of the seller videos. Yeah, fantastic. And keeping an eye on chat, um, Michael asked the question, Lone Wolf here, thank you for identifying yep. yourself uh, and being vulnerable. Uh, in the collaborative model, who owns the quota and yep. um, when the quota is missed? Yep. Um, and I mean, I, you know, I think as I'm talking about this and as I think about collaborative selling, the seller still owns their own quota. I yep. don't think we're talking about sharing a quota here. Or taking it to that that extreme. Um, so, you know, hopefully yeah, that. And, and I can expand on that. I mean, I think we see some organizations do have, you know, a team incentive. Um, but the challenge is if you're the CRO or chief commercial officer, right, you can only count the revenue once. So if you start, you know, double, triple paying, all of a sudden it, it erodes margins or there just isn't compensation to go around. Finding some incentives or acknowledging those wins, I think, is great. But Michael, back to your point, and I was I was thinking about that. Yeah, you still own the the quota, 
But if we can do things to help us be more successful in meeting that quota, and we'll talk about some of the skills, right? It probably means we need to be better at managing the matrix, probably needs means we're paying it forward, right? And we're building those relationships in advance and we're being willing to collaborate with our team uh, and, and with others. Uh, and so we're doing those things to increase our own leverage, right? Kind of grow that sphere of influence. And I think those are some of the selling skills of the future, right? That, that are evolving um, because it does get back to, it's going to help us hit our quota. So we want to do everything we can to, you know, be su as successful as possible. Yeah, exactly. Yep, that's right. So sharing knowledge also, you know, certifying around the key messaging, and you're not going to do certifications for everything. You got to really choose your spots carefully. Um, but for those key key product launches or a new persona you're selling to, whatever that is, um, you know, doing those certifications. And we love, like at Allego, we, we do a lot of crowdsourcing around certification. So we'll have everybody kind of do a pitch for a new deck, right? If it's a new product feature and we get a bunch of different people kind of presenting the deck and then everybody gives feedback and then um, the executives kind of chime in and say which parts and product marketing chimes in and says like which pieces from different people they like the best. And then someone records the example that takes the best pieces from everybody. And then that becomes kind of the gold standard, right? So it's it's that, you know, crowdsource with control or semi-crowdsourcing. And, you know, we talked about, you know, sharing mistakes and the best learning really does come from the mistakes. I mean, definitely want to share win reports and examples of what great looks like is very, very powerful. But also, particularly when a top performer makes a mistake, by them sharing that, it's going to prevent other people from repeating those mistakes in the future. So that's just so valuable if you can you can build that type of culture on your team. And then this one's a little awkward, but like with all the the churn happening today, um, having a process where you're capturing this type of knowledge, you know, before it walks out the door is big. A lot of sellers are are leaving, and they are literally just walking out the door with all that institutional knowledge in their heads. It is not getting retained. It's not transferred. It's not documented. Um, so that 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 that's that's a lot of money walking out the door. Just what's in their head, right there. So we want to retain that that institutional knowledge. That's great. Replicate a player behavior, not sheep. Um, so you know, a lot of this is uh, you know by when the top performers are setting the example and sharing, the bottom performers are absorbing and sponging, right? New new sellers, right? When, whenever, I'm curious, Ray, your perspective, but like I've, I've talked to a lot of trainers and they're just like, yeah, it's always the top performers that are resistant and don't really want to be there. But the new performers are usually like, the, the, the new sellers, they're like sponges ready to absorb. So if you're like sharing all this good stuff with them, it really is going to make them better. It's going to be very efficient learning for the mid and, and, and bottom performers on the team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's a, there's an age old uh, axiom, I guess, that says uh, if you teach something, you learn it better, right? You're, you're encouraged, you're, you're kind of required, right. To really master that. And mastery really comes from being able to explain and teach it to others. So, you know, we run into this every day where we may, maybe we have a mixed team that we're training and we have some veterans who, you know, maybe in the back of the room, if it was, you know, in person with their arms crossed going, uh, I've been here before. Well, if we can draw those people in and say, well, you know what, Craig, we really appreciate your perspective. Can you share the lessons of how you've applied these skills, how you've made it successful and the lessons that you've learned, you know, to share with others? 
Now, all of a sudden, you're an ally, right? You're an advocate, or at least we hope, uh, as opposed to being a hostage in, in the room. So I think we can draw them out. I think it's really important to encourage and identify those people in advance and you know, see what we can do to, to replicate. We may not be able to create all A players with that behavior, but at least taking, right, cherry picking or taking those things that are working, and as you said, crowdsourcing into, hey, what is the profile of somebody uh, that's successful in this organization? Yeah, yeah, exactly so. And I think the, the, next, the next place to kind of zero in on in terms of replicating A player behavior is going to be conversation intelligence. And um, I, we do have a poll on the next slide uh, to see where people are at with conversation intelligence, but I've done a couple of these now and I kind of know uh, that there is, uh, we're still in the pretty low adoption uh, phase for this technology for sellers. Um, and, uh, and not just sellers, but but also really anyone on the revenue team, right? It's, it's conversation intelligence is a fantastic way for sales leaders to keep the finger on the pulse of what their sales team's saying. Um, but also, you know, for for coaches and enablement professionals and those frontline sales managers, it really helps scale coaching um, and and learning. And this is also a great way where the A players can listen to some of the conversations of the B players and just add quick comments. Right? It doesn't even require a lot of time. And the 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 knock on conversation intelligence has been, I don't have time to listen to all these recordings. Right? Nobody does. Like there's like I mean, it's like there's like infinity hours of of calls, like, but the front end for these conversation intelligence platforms has come a long way. Um, in Allego, we have something called show reels, and you can just type in a topic, a competitor, a product feature, and uh, or an objection, and you're gonna get a highlight reel, 15 second snippets, 20 second snippets. Um, seller, 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 seller from multiple conversations. And it's like, it's basically a sports center, top 10 um, around any given theme. So it's it's made it very efficient for people to listen to the conversations and the parts of those conversations that are going to be good coaching opportunities and learning opportunities. Um, so we see this as a massive opportunity um, towards collaboration and team learning. Yeah, and I think when you aggregate that and you can provide those those greatest hits, that's that's fantastic. And I, I think what Allegro is doing there is really intriguing, uh, and and being able to extract right intelligence out of that. So you know everybody's excited about what does AI really look like in that scenario. Well, if we can strike start to in, extract some intelligence from those calls and find out what's working and what the best players are doing, that's where it starts to really get applicable. Now, I still think there's a component that says, if you're a manager and you're coaching your reps, you should listen to those calls. You should even have both you know, the rep and the manager listen to them and then sit down and have your coaching conversation. What went right? What do we want to keep doing? What are opportunities to improve? Right, And we can even highlight and say, hey, go to minute 13. Let's listen to that sec segment and see what you think about it. How might we have asked that question differently? How might we have clarified our objective that we're trying to accomplish at the end of the call? Whatever those coaching you know, skills are that we're trying to get across. Uh, but I think that that call intelligence really helps you know, across the board in, in a number of different scenarios. Yeah, thank yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And this might come off as pitchy, but it's really not. But it's very important in my opinion that your conversation intelligence be integrated 
into your sales learning platform or LMS and into your sales content management platform because you're able to very efficiently, you hear a snippet or something that you think was really good, you can put that snippet right into a course with one click, or you can share it with a group of sellers you know have struggled with that objection. Or there's a piece of collateral and it's the conversation intelligence, here's the objection, and it automatically proactively pushes a piece of collateral for you to share with the buyer in a digital solution room, and you can share that collateral in one click. So by having all of these pieces integrated together, you're able to collaborate better, you're able to learn better and really drive much more rep efficiency um, when you have a comprehensive or integrated approach to your enablement technology. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just giving applause, uh, kind of sharing the the feedback from the group. A lot of chat saying, you know, spot on, absolutely. That's a best coaching practice. I think, you know, being able to leverage that game tape uh, in in very specific ways, right? Very as opposed to, hey, here's uh, ten hours of recordings you have to listen to, and the managers already have too much on their plate the way it is, and the reps probably aren't going to consume that either. But if you can break that up, as a, a Lego allows to really pull out those snippets. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, Wendy, great point. Um, Wendy Bissonette, who we just recorded some enablements with, um, makes the point, you know, to put those snippets right into chat channels, you know, into Teams and Slack. Yeah, absolutely. And we do that all the time um, at Alego. Great, great stuff. So let's see where people are at. So, um, you know, if we can launch the next poll, there we go. Alonzo's on it. Um, and see where people are. So, you know, we don't have a tool for it. We have a tool, but we don't use it enough. We use it sometimes. Yes, we have a tool, um, but they just they just watch their own footage. And then the top level is, yeah, we have a tool. They watch their own footage and they watch the game tape from their peers, which would really be, you know, the highest level of, of, of usage. So... Okay, looks like we have, yeah. Yeah, I think we definitely have... Uh have a consensus here from the group. Yep. And I think it, it it speaks to your experience having done this, uh, haven't had this discussion before, right? Yeah, let's show the results. There we go. Perfect. Um, I mean, so this is, this is in cart, like to me, this is a good thing. Like th- there is so much opportunity and efficiency ahead um, for, for companies that, that, you know, learn how to implement this technology and use it effectively. And it, this, this is not that expensive. Um, so, you know, I think that this is definitely something that the people should be looking into. Well, 80% of our audience said they're not, not doing it enough, or they don't even have a tool for it. Yep. Right. So, you know, and of the 20, it's, it's really broken out more of maybe sometimes uh, a few use it consistently and, and what 5% of our overall audience, I think we're over a hundred here, uh, owns it and, and, looks at their peers as well. So kind of that best practice we're talking about. So lots of uh, opportunity there. Yeah. And we could do a whole webinar on this, Ray. I think we have. (laughs) like Understanding the voice of the customer and optimizing your messaging. Um, And that, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's so many benefits here um, to to talk about, Um, but we'll, we'll move forward and uh, let's, let's get into the skills, Ray. Yep. Yeah. So, you know, we think about, uh, key selling skills, right? These are kind of foundational. Uh, typically, they'd be in any part of a sales training program from booking the first meeting and, and being really comfortable with that value proposition, that outreach, uh, you know, planning the call, identifying and developing the needs and asking those 
uh, active, open-ended, kind of impact-related questions and shutting up long enough, right? Listening to what the customer is actually telling you because they'll tell you how to sell to them if you listen uh, long enough. So, So asking, finding out their problems and then presenting the problem with that in mind, managing objections, uh, you know, feedback that comes out and making sure we acknowledge and clarify first before we jump in. And then ultimately, you know, what does the negotiation look like? How do we ask for the order? How do we get that commitment? These are, you know, kind of the standard skills. What I would add to that, though, is this kind of evolving area, I think, of the, the senior or super account executive, which is also a project manager. They're also a matrix manager. They're a collaborator, Right. And they don't need to do everything, but they need to be able to develop those skills and pull those folks together because they can't do all of these things themselves. Or if they're doing them, there are others on the client side that they're not reaching or they're not able to to really respond to. So I think we need to take our standard foundational skills and then expand that into what looks more like the quarterback and the project manager. So, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, it's kind of like how we practice is how we uh, end up playing the game typically. And so uh, this is just a, a, a quick breakdown. And, you know, we think about different ways of delivering training. So, you know, kind of asynchronous or e-learning, they're going to consume it. They're going to watch some some video. Maybe they can track their uh, progress. But as we know, salespeople don't have a lot of appetite for watching a bunch of video on their own. Uh, it's tough to get completion when they're when they're just uh, kind of in that self-paced. And so we need more than that. And we know that, you know, traditionally instructor-led or virtual instructor-led, right, ILT and VILT is kind of the gold standard, getting a live facilitator, getting the group together. You can do exercises. You can have discussions in the room. You can customize the delivery to some extent. Uh, and that's great. And in fact, we did a webinar with, with Ken Taylor from Training Industry and said, you know, when you ask sellers, they still really like in-person training. I mean, that's a chance to kind of focus, to get together uh, and lean in on those topics. But I'll say two things. One is that's not always possible today and you're taking them out of the field. And the other thing, it's not enough by itself. So just having that great session, one, you don't really know if they got it. It's hard to, you know, maybe you did some role plays, but then you're on to the next topic. And so we believe that a blended collaborative solution is really gonna produce the best outcomes and it's what our experience has been in seeing this evolve, which is we're going to flip the classroom to some extent. They're going to consume the content through micro learning, uh, you know, videos and, and their own skill application. And then we're going to get them together and we're going to apply those skills and we're going to discuss and we're going to have that peer to peer. And they can see each other's work. So in the platform we use, they can actually see uh, the assignments, the missions, the activities and discussions and they can track their progress along the way. So we'll we'll get to that in a little bit, but you know that kind of shows a little bit of a breakdown and really collaborative is kind of a blended approach that includes uh each component and an element of, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer learning. Anything you'd add to that, Craig? Yeah, I mean we're we're seeing hybrid training, you know, pretty much across the board right now where even if it's you got most people showing up live, there's always people that can't make it and you got to you got to account for it and um, we're doing a lot of asynchronous learning ahead of live training and really trying to save the in-person interactions for culture building and collaboration, breakout groups, stuff that requires that face-to-face -face, and allowing for personal connection. So when they get to an in-person 
Um, they're just not listening to a talking head the whole time, right? And really allowing for that collaborative um, nature because it, 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 there is more and more of the culture with fewer people in the office. It's like these training events actually become your culture setters, particularly for you know, new, new hires. Um, th- those training sessions really are where they build those relationships. So it's, 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 it's almost like there's like a, a, a new objective from in-person training around culture. But the asynchronous learning is, is, is fantastic because it allows sellers or anyone to learn when they're ready to learn, right? Whenever you do an in-person live event, you're basically hoping that everybody's in their learning zone at the same time. And asynchronous lets people watch when they want to watch, when they're ready to, to, to vote. They can also you know, watch it 2x or 1.5x, so there's some efficiency there. They can go back and rewatch stuff that they missed. So we, you know, we're definitely seeing, you know, people leaning into the asynchronous learning, which, which is fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Wendy pointed out about QBRs or SKOs, sales kickoff meetings. This is a great approach, right? Where you can get them thinking about it beforehand. You can have them do some work and then you're using that time, which is at a premium, right? More effectively when they are together, you're not lecturing them for eight hours when they've had three days of, of in-person already, right? And, and their brain's full, uh, so we can use that and then we can follow up. So, you know, this looks at kind of what that digital blend would include. I mentioned the micro learning. We've got some real life applications. We're bringing in those voice of the seller videos if we have them. Uh, and then when we have those skill applications, they can discuss and see and collaborate. So, you know, we can look at each other's call plans or we can look at uh, how how we've targeted those key executives um, and and what our access strategy is. So we can start to uh, share best practices right there and get the peer-to-peer learning. And I think it's healthy for the organization just to start those connections. I mean, we we facilitated a very large rollout for a global uh, tech company, and we had cohorts where they were talking. In a lot of cases, they'd never met. And we had Asia, we had North America, we had Europe, we had some different sessions, but we had mixed groups coming together. And they're like, wow, I didn't know you were experiencing exactly the same thing halfway around the world hey, we should take this up offline. We should continue the discussion. I think that's just healthy for the organization. So you're kind of priming the pump. We're making the tools and the resources available. They can go back to it. As I mentioned, healthy competition among the team uh, where you can track your progress and see how you're doing. And we recognize that. We provide a, a Credly badge at the end. So they get a, a third-party kind of digital credential. So it's a carrot, right, to help them uh, work through. But I just wanted to share, this is how we see that collaborative learning come to life. And we branded it as CLX, right? That we're delivering our platforms. Excellent. So we're about to kind of get into the sales and marketing alignment um, section. And we're, we're going to look at some data, some research that we we conducted with B2B Decision Labs. But, but first, just want to make a point, you know, it's almost cliche, right? That buyers are more informed than ever. It's harder and harder to reach people and gain their attention. Just because it's cliche, it doesn't mean it's not true. It is harder and harder. They are more distracted. They are doing more research outside of your ecosystem. And a lot of them, even in B2B complex sales, a lot of buyers don't want to talk to a seller. Uh, And that number just seems to keep going up and up. Um, So every touch point that we get, every opportunity just has more pressure on us to deliver, to resonate, to make sure that we are putting our best foot forward and making the most of those precious touch points. So 
one of the ways that you can do that is by leaning on your subject matter experts, right? If they're coming in more prepared and they've already you know, gone through a clickable tour of your product and, and know some of the details. They've, they're in communities and they're talking to power users at other companies that are already using your tool, right? They're coming in and they might ask you some pretty, pretty intense questions, maybe some technical questions, right? So if you can ask, you know, what they want to know about in the upcoming meetings, and then you bring in the right people at your organization that are those subject matter experts that are better handled than than you as, as uh, you know, an AE that maybe hasn't been through a full implementation of the technology or isn't as uh, experienced on some of the intricate details of the product, bring in no sales engineers, bring in, bring in a top performer that has done that, right? You know, leverage your peers and, and, and you know, don't try to carry the ball, um, you know, by yourself uh, is, is basically the message here. Absolutely. And we'll get back to that as well, Craig, of let's look at all those roles and, and how we match up and, kind of who's aligned with who. So we'll we'll talk more about that as we go along. All right. So getting into sales and marketing alignment, just I think this starts with, because we're going to basically crack the code on this, right? This issue that has just been plaguing our space. 70% of the content that marketers create for sales doesn't get used. So what are what is a sales leader's role to fix this? What is a salesperson's role to help fix this? How do we take accountability for everything happening across the revenue team and do what we can do our part to help solve some of these problems? Because 10 years ago, the research said 70% of the content wasn't getting used that marketing creates for sales. And it's still 70%. And in some studies, because I don't know, I haven't seen the study, but Matt Hines said 90% last month. So maybe right. the problem's even getting worse, right? So I think it starts by understanding that content is a life cycle, right? It, it, marketing or enablement is not a drive-through window where the content gets created, handed over, and then you never see that person again. It is a life cycle where it gets, it gets co-created, and we'll talk about that, and then it gets distributed and activated collaboratively. We're going to talk about that. And then tracking, we're going to talk about this because there's three different ways that you can collect input and feedback around content, and then you optimize. Right. And, and, and it just you just keep learning. Right. Even if you get that content to be perfect, the market conditions change and you need to update it anyway. So you're always going to be updating content, even your best content. Um, so let's try to figure out what actually gets sellers to use content. So we're kind of giving it away here, but try not. I'll try to explain this, what we're looking at here. So we did a behavioral research study with 500 sellers uh, at a real company and there were nine groups. and um, basically it was, uh, three by three. Uh, so one, there were two variables. One variable was who is delivering the content to the sales team, right? So we had a product marketer, we had a sales leader, and then we had a top performing seller deliver, roll out, introduce the content to the rest of the sales team. And then the second variable was the accompanying collateral, the context. We call it agile content at a Lego that goes with the content, right? This is the contextual content that explains how they should use it, okay? So one group was, it was just a basic description of the content and what it's for. The second one was a case study. So it was the basic description plus an example of how a customer would use this content. And then the third was a demonstration of uh, someone delivering the content to a prospect. So it was an actual demo. Um, in some cases, it was role play. In other cases, it, it was recorded with a real, with a real conversation with a real prospect. So that creates those nine groups. And what I want to highlight here 
is let's just assume that we are uh, going to do, uh, if you're a product marketer and you're just handing over the basic details, uh, they scored about uh, about a little, I don't know, 2.75 or so. Um, and that was, we asked the sellers to basically say on a scale of zero to seven, how likely are you to use this content, right? So when a product marketer delivered it and it just came with the basic details, it was like 2.7, right? Pretty, pretty poor. And then when a top performer delivered it and they included a demo of them actually presenting that content to a prospect, uh, it, they, they scored over six. It was a 111% increase. That's, that's more than a double. Um, so this is huge, right? And this isn't even that, I mean, it's not easy, but like, these are things you can do, right? You can, so at Allego, we created it. It's just a fancy name. We call it, it's good to have a name for these things because it makes it official. We have a sales advisory board and they meet with marketing, I think every month. And basically they, they do co-creation together. Um, so the marketer needs to understand the intent of the content up front. Right. So they, they're more likely to get it right. And it just makes everything much more efficient, less back and forth, less revisions. Um, and then the sales advisory co uh, council helps talk about how they're going to activate it. Right. Rec getting these examples, these role plays, or maybe even you trial this content with some real customers and you use those recordings. And then you deliver the content to the rest of the sales team with those demos. And it is a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. We see this every week at a Lego. Um, and the data is also uh, pointing to this. So I think that's some real actionable stuff that you can think about. If you're not doing things like this at your company, think about what this might look like if we wanted to do something um, at your organization. I think it really helps to close that loop, right? That always, always that gap between, well, marketing creates it, but sales doesn't really like it. We should be working together, right? And, and getting that frontline or that top seller buy-in an endorsement, and then as you pointed out, you know the delivery of that, which I, I think is is a fantastic way to approach it. Um, and then also, as we'll you know not going to get into today, but thinking about how are those materials being used, what is the customer responding to, and with the idea of like digital sales rooms where we can actually track their usage and and see how successful it is. Now we have another feedback mechanism going all the way to the customer to to inform that content. So. I think you know again the tools are evolving and the processes where we can get much closer alignment to close that gap between the great marketing content that's created and the salespeople who unfortunately have minds of their own. Right? Yeah, but don't wait for marketing to bring this to the table. I guess because I know there's a lot of sales leaders and individual contributors, probably top performers on this call. You can proactively work towards this and 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 you know call a meeting and, and have these conversations like what would this look like at our company? What would that sales advisory board look like? Who should be on it? What should the meeting cadence be? Uh, and that can that can really come from sales. Um, so and then you know we're not going to spend too much time, but like to to raise point like understanding how it worked. Right? Um, it used to be we just got anecdotal feedback, which was good, better than nothing, but often it was just from the loudest voices in the room. Um, and now, you know, with the modern sales content management platforms, you have amazing analytics tying content usage by deal stage to deal advances in the CRM and even to, to close rates. Um, so that, that, that's really, really useful data. And then we've talked about the qualitative piece, which you, don't, you can't really measure, but when you're watching it, you see where the buyer has energy and where they're bored as hell. Right, you can see that on the on the conversation intelligence, and you'll learn how to optimize your messaging, which content hits, which content doesn't. 
So those three factors together really give you a lot of the feedback you need. So who's involved in your deals? So would love to hear in chat. Would love to know who who you're bringing into deals. Who's typically on the calls um, with the prospect? Um, how creative have we gotten? Yeah, and you know, just while we're having people respond or think about that, you know, who's who's kind of involved in collaborating there? There were a couple of questions, um, and, and I think we can knock these out quickly. Maria mentioned. Uh, how do how do you overcome the fear and reluctance of some salespeople being recorded in meetings? And you know, I think there's a lot behind that because it could be a culture change. I will say, as a starting point, we need to make that a very safe uh, and and kind of positive experience to say we're doing this to help everybody get better. We want to make those conversations great. Like we're not going to catch them doing things wrong, but we're going to try to reinforce and figure out uh, how we make them better. Uh, and we need to make, you know, have good coaching conversations, right? So collaborating with the individual to help them. And then some of it is, hey, once they do it, and same with customers we've seen, now there's very little reluctance. People are kind of used to it. Once you start turning those on, uh, having the call recording as a default, right? And just explain, oh, we're doing this, you know, for note-taking and quality assurance purposes. Uh, and there's not a lot of pushback. There was also one other question uh, Nicholas asked about, Sellers don't want to talk to buyers and buyers don't want to talk to sellers. So I would love to take that up offline because there's got to be much more about that. If your sellers don't want to talk to the buyers, we have a bigger problem. And so I would say, what's causing that call reluctance or that reluctance to reach out? And if the buyers don't want to talk to me, you need to be more compelling, right? You need to create a a better value. You need to be able to lead with an insight. You need to bring something to the table that says, hey, I'll take this meeting. And it relates, there was another question about, you know, getting access to execs these days. Well, we need to give them a reason to take that call and something that we can help them with. Uh, If we're just reaching out with a product pitch, they're never going to take that call. So I know we're uh, getting some chats in here, but just wanted to kind of knock those out. What are you seeing in in the chat here, Craig, about who's involved? Yeah, managers, members of the digital tactics team. Um... Let's see, we got uh, C-level engineering, manufacturing, right? So some subject matter experts, uh, marketing, uh, strategic accounts, right? Um, yeah, executives. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so good good mix. You know, we bring our executives in from time to time. I don't know the exact criteria when they do it, but I know that it really makes the prospects feel important. Um, and if there's other executives on their side, it can be nice to bring executives in on our side. Um, so I know our sellers, they don't hesitate. Um, and the, it's a little easier now in a hybrid environment, you know, where they can pop into a Zoom um, easier than they would have been able to attend like an in-person meeting in the past. Yeah. And, you know, Dane brought up a point and and I haven't looked at that particular research that uh, they're referencing, but. Uh, about, you know, a seller alone gains more credibility when they don't include too many other voices. And I guess my own opinion on that is they need to own the conversation and and take responsibility for it. But leveraging other resources is just part of that collaborative sales. So you don't want to distract or worse, confuse the customer by a bunch of people reaching out. But that goes back to being the quarterback or the, the project manager of that uh, pursuit. It's funny. It's funny. We talk about this. I wish I like I, Marcus. I don't know if we have the link to the corporate visions webinar, um, mm-hmm. but that that we're we're gonna do. But they just published research about this too, um, where like, do you 
how do you handle bringing in these subject matter experts? What, what do those meetings look like? And was it Dane? He's right. Because like, you don't, you want to keep leading that call. You want to be the quarterback and you're kind of calling on them. But I think it can be detrimental if you let someone else kind of take the call over. I think that is a mistake. Um, so it's interesting, right? So just because we're saying involve these people, then it's like, okay, well, now how do we involve them, right? What are the right ways to do that? Um, we have to be thoughtful about that. Uh, I think that's really valuable in the way that that coordination is done. So look, I know we're coming up on the top of the hour. We'll keep moving here. I just wanted to make sure we we kind of cover the final topics and then get a chance for uh, some other input. But you know, one of the things we look at as we're looking at you know selling into more complex accounts, maybe we have multiple decision makers. It's a standard matrix, and you know people have probably used other tools, but just understanding who all we're calling on and understanding their level of commitment, right? So um, when we think about how much influence do they have over that deal, and are they committed or supportive of us? Uh, and where do they fall on this matrix? So, you know, not to go into too much detail, but we can really leverage somebody who's very committed, even if they have low level of influence, that can be a supporter or a coach that can get us access, get us information. But that person who's high level of influence and a negative or no commitment can really be a blocker or an obstructionist. So this goes back to understanding who's who's selling on our side and who we're selling into who makes up that deal. And if we're only talking to one person in the organization, we know that typically there are six to eight other uh, champions or stakeholders involved. So who are those other people that we haven't even mapped yet or we don't even understand? So we need to start with, well, who are all those people? How do they feel about us? And how do we build those relationships? And we'll talk about you know, how we connect better with that group. Yeah, so this is one one way, and the you know kind of can it, that can you, it. Ray? Is that you? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that seems like uh, seems like it sometimes. Um, <laughs> continue our uh, animal analogy here, but you know the idea of of who on our side and who on the client org is going to touch that deal, and depending on you know I've worked on some very very large scale uh, you know RFP responses, proposals, outsourcing agreements where there are literally a dozen people involved. They all want to get their hands on pricing and strategy and and contracting. And then on the other side as well, when you start to get legal and contracting and procurement and, uh, you know, their analysts, not to mention all the C-suite, the CFO these days, leaning in on that. And the only point of this is, do we know who's filling all those boxes? Sometimes one person can play multiple roles, but we should at least identify and not be surprised that, oh, procurement's involved and they're blocking. Well, we should have identified that months ago and figured out who they are and figure out what's our strategy, who best on our team should align, how do we get a meeting with that individual, how do we understand their needs. Uh, so this is a multi-threaded uh, type uh, uh, pursuit, but it really does start with the sales executive is the one who needs to coordinate and make sure that we've identified that and we have a pursuit plan, depending on the size of the deal and, and how complex it is. I don't know if anything you'd add to this, but uh, yeah, I think that's uh, we we should include that as part of our planning process, right? And as as part of our pursuit plan. Yep. No, that that tracks. Um, and we'll we'll keep it moving for the sake of time here. Um, but man, there's just so much good content. Um, 
So I learned this recently from a very experienced AE and now head of business development at an AI company that she learned more in her career post-sale than she did from any training or you know anything that she learned during the deal process, which I thought was fascinating. She's more of a technical-minded person, so she loved getting into the details to understand what features of what you sell actually got prioritized or what did you sell versus what did they get, right? Like, where were they disappointed? Where did they, um, where did they feel like they were expecting one thing and they, they got something else kind of stuff. And you really get that during that implementation process. So staying with the deal past close um, and being on some of those customer success and implementation meetings, that's where some of the best learning can come from and really helped her refine her craft and her messaging for the next deal. So I just wanted to share that because I think it's, uh, you know, I, I don't really hear that get talked about too much. Um, so it's a nice, nice learning opportunity there. Well, and one of the things we're seeing as well is then engaging the client success in the next pursuit or making sure we're sharing those lessons. We're getting them involved so we can hear that voice of the customer live and that they know to ask that next question or or to refer that back, right? So that it's not a handoff and then all of a sudden sales gets cut out of the loop. Yeah. Who wrote these jokes, by the way? These are fantastic. Is that you, Marcus? Good job. Trying not to laugh. Right. All right. Last chat question. You yep. guys have already blowing up the chat, the whole webinar. Thank you for for all the engagement. Um, but what tools are you using to collaborate with your team around a deal? You know, maybe um, you know, maybe it's Slack or Teams or email or some other type of a tool. Yeah, and this will be interesting because I think we need to be intentional about, you know, if we just identified that there are eight or 10 people involved maybe touching this deal, how are they sharing and how are they making sure they have one view of the customer and even sharing what the need is, right? Uh, because I think that's often it gets handed off or we say, oh, read the notes, but they're, they, they're, they're taking it in a different direction or they don't have a clear understanding. So we need to have some tools to be able to really collaborate among uh, the, the group that's working and and can get that picture so that we're literally on the same page, right? Whether that's account planners or collaborative tools. What are we seeing in the in the chat here, Craig? Uh, I won't say some of them because um, they're competitors, but uh, yeah, Monday, Teams, email, um, Salesforce. Um, yeah, so Zoom meetings, right? Medic calls, discovery call recordings, Asana. Yeah. yeah, we use Asana. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think as several people pointed out teams, but just creating a pursuit channel, right, uh, to, to have everybody being able to put their notes in, hey, I had a conversation or this came up. Again, we now have a record we can go back or maybe that's done in Chatter or Slack or, uh, you know, some other tool. but. Again, I think we need to keep everybody on board. And, you know, these are some of the things we see, Make, making sure you have, uh, you know, a plan that everybody can get to, that we're reviewing the CRM. Um, we have a way of messaging and collaborating, even looking into what the customer is telling us, right? And, and what information are we getting back? How are we putting the plan together and tracking our progress? Are we using those call recordings and, and AI? 
capturing the voice of the customer and the feedback uh, along the way, all the way through client success, right? And then afterwards doing win-loss reviews. I think, again, this could be a whole webinar, but how are we getting that team, that that team of orcas, that pot of orcas, right, to work together and what, it, what would it be? Echo sounding, right? Communicating with each other. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into big performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast.